0: It's been shown that chronic loneliness can shorten your lifespan by like 10 to 15 years. There's twice as many people in the United States who report this like regular experience of loneliness than there are who have diabetes. And as you mentioned, like the cardiovascular, anxiety, depression, dementia, like all of these things are linked to loneliness.
1: into the minds of change makers creating real impact on people and our planet. It's time to live your purpose. I'm your host, Dale Wilkinson, and this is Good Makers. Hey, what's up? Thanks for dropping by today's episode, which is episode seven. If you haven't subscribed to Good Makers yet, what are you waiting for? Come join us. Today's episode is with Kat Velos. She's a user experience designer, a coach, a speaker, and author of the book, We Should Get Together, The Secret to Cultivating Better Friendships. It's an incredible book with practical advice on how to create meaningful friendships. And man, what a time for this book to come out right now is so important to have a strong support system around you as we tackle all that 2020 is throwing at us. Also, social isolation and loneliness is linked to a whole range of health issues, depression, cardiovascular disease, and even an early death. Now, meeting and keeping new friends can be hard. So in this episode, Kat gives us ideas on how to make new, rewarding, platonic friendships. She also describes how to prioritize your friendships, even when you have a busy schedule. And she has an incredible technique to break the ice with strangers so you can leave a lasting impression. Here's my chat with the delightful Kat Velos. I read your book this weekend, Kat. It's We Should Get Together, How to Cultivate Better Friendships. And it spoke to me because being a 37-year-old now in Los Angeles, when your friends start to have kids, move away, that small intimate friend group, it just gets smaller and smaller. It's an amazing book and I'm excited to hear some of your ideas and your research that that went into it. But can we go back to the beginning? I'd love to hear a bit more about your journey, how you got to uh, writing a book.
0: So um, yeah, so my career actually started as a graphic designer and an art director. Uh, I was working for an alternative news weekly in North Florida And uh, that was like really focused on like a community focus on like investigative journalism and like arts and community. And I did that work for a a long time and I really enjoyed it and loved the people I worked with. It was great. And then I, on the side, I've I've always kind of done stuff on the side. I was running a poetry and spoken word gathering called Poet Speak. And I ran that for like four years, just pulling people together to have like literary community and creative community. And I was also part of a like local activist group with my best friend. And at a certain point, I felt like I wanted to make a bigger difference in people's lives. And so I actually left... Uh, Florida, and I joined AmeriCorps and I did two years of national service through AmeriCorps. Are you familiar with the program? It's sort of like- I am.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, it's kind of like
0: Peace Corps, but it's domestic. And out of that, I ended up working for several nonprofits. This was up in the Pacific Northwest. And I was working with a bunch of different nonprofits there doing facilitation. So I was like designing for real life experiences around like creative empowerment, social justice, community change, things like that. And at a certain point, I was like ready to leave the Pacific Northwest. The weather, had never agreed with me. And I also (laughs) wanted to go back to design. And so when I moved to California, uh, I got to really combine those two parts of my path, which is like designing for people and a visual design background into UX design. And so It's all about, you know, UX is really about like being focused on what people need. And I got to take the experience of like facilitation, which is like designing for a real life interaction and putting that into what we now call like digital products. Right. So apps, websites, things like that, interactions um, that you may experience Mm on a computer. And then. Because I always like keep doing different community building stuff on the side. I was running a gathering called Better Than Small Talk that I started about two years after I moved to the Bay Area because I'd had a lot of small talk and I was really getting tired of it. And it was it was also strange to me that like even though the Bay Area was like a wonderful place, I loved it. Like as soon as I got here, it was much more difficult to make the depth of friendships that I wanted, um, it seemed harder. It was, it was very confusing. And so I started running this gathering called better than small talk for people who wanted to have like deeper conversations and more stronger, like authentic connection.
1: So yeah, just on that though, like you identify as a, as an introvert, yeah, right? I do. Like what inspired you to actually go out and create these groups on the side? Uh, the multiple groups that you've done. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I I have, you know, my hypothesis, which several other introverts have told me they resonate with as well, which is when you lose energy from social interaction, it really matters to you that the social interactions you have are really good ones. And unlike, you know, extroverts, Mm -hmm. they get energy from interacting with people. And so small talk is like not draining for them. They're like, oh, it's fun. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, By the time I'm done with small talk, I'm actually kind of, I'm like starting to lose energy. I'm tired of it. And so for me, the communities that I've created and the gatherings and workshops and things that I've hosted and facilitated are both like a way to feed my own desire of like having a meaningful interaction that's going to be like really nutritious and also have like a a really, to me, like really justified reason for being exhausted later.
1: Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) Do you identify with that as an introvert too?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. Two hundred percent. On the weekend, two of my good friends had a joint birthday party and you have to amp yourself up to go to these events. Yeah. And I went thinking, cool, yeah, i got some techniques on how I can start meaningful conversations. And as soon as you walk in, there's like a handful of people you know, but as soon as you walk in, you're just like, No, (laughs) I just want to find the corner, you know? Yeah. It's tough. Oh, yeah. The first group that you did, what was going through your head? Did it just come naturally or did you have some kind of process in place to go, all right, this is a goal. I've got to be able to do this. Was it tough?
0: No. I mean, as a UX designer, a lot of what you do when you are trying to figure out how to solve a problem is a lot of experimentation. So you have an idea, you try it. You have another idea, you try it and you see how it goes. And because I have a facilitation background, I, I'm that's sort of like a default. Like for me, I'm just like, oh, is there a way that we could solve this by like communicating differently or like getting together and like doing something very intentional to get to a certain purpose? Right, Because you don't just like facilitation isn't just getting in a room and standing there like you have a goal and you have a purpose. And so in that way, yeah, the goal of those gatherings was certainly to like have great conversation, to connect on a meaningful level. And I didn't know I was going to write a book, but more and more people who came to the gathering told me that they were having problems making friends or getting as deep with their friends or maintaining friendships because we get older, we move around a lot. Like people, especially in the Bay Area, they move constantly. Like I went to so many goodbye parties in the last six years. I can't even tell you. And so that makes it harder, right? That makes it harder to maintain a friendship. It makes it harder to have the frequency or the proximity that you want with the people you really like love and want to be close to. And so it's it was fascinating to me how much, how frequently this issue came up. And so I was just like writing down like kind of my own thoughts, my observations, like things I was wondering, like essays. Sometimes, you know, I also did a very brief like photography project where I was interviewing people about their experience of community. And so I would interview them, do portraits and had those on my blog for a while. And ultimately what I ended up getting at was like, there was so much content and there was so many pieces of this puzzle that It ended Mm. up taking the form of a book.
1: Tell me about that a little more in terms Mm -hmm. of, was it this kind of light bulb moment when you're like, I should write a book? Or was it looking at all this content that you had noted down was it a process, and then what did you do next once you had that idea?
0: Yeah, I I had been gathering up, you know, just like like I said, it was sometimes journal entries, sometimes notes on my computer, sometimes these like blog things. And at a certain point, like I had so much content that I was like, "What am I doing with this?" I thought about like it was like, should I make it? Uh, should I do like a post series on Medium because it was like way too long for a single post. Like I had a through really? line, like a full story that I was trying to communicate, but it, it was. It was too long for like one blog post. I was considering making a zine. I was considering, I was like, maybe I should make a magazine. A friend of mine recently launched a magazine. It was really great. And then friends of mine actually said, Kat, it sounds like you're writing a book. And that yeah. really gave me the feeling of like, oh, I think I am writing a book. And they believed, they were like, yeah. Some
1: validation. Yeah.
0: They believed in me. Yeah. They, they were like, of course you could do that. Like, that's absolutely what you're doing. And I was like, great. And at that point, then I like had to get a little more serious and like figure out how to
1: go about that process. And what did that entail?
0: Yeah, so I had to do a lot of research into first of all, like what were my options for publishing? Did I want to do traditional publishing versus self-publishing? What is it like to find and use an editor? What are the different levels of editing from like developmental editing to structural to copy editing? I knew that I... I wanted to illustrate it. I love drawing and I love doing like...
1: The illustrations are amazing. How you've placed them in the book as well. It's, they're, they're humorous. I love them.
0: Thank you. Thanks. I wanted it to have some levity to it because this issue is like kind of emotional, you know, and it can be heavy sometimes. And sometimes people are like ashamed to mention that they're having trouble maintaining or making as close friendships as they want. And I just didn't want it to feel like heavy or sad or anything. So I wanted it to feel like conversational and light and and the drawings did help do that. And ultimately, like what it came down to for me, once I learn how to do something, I believe... I know how to do it. And Mm -hmm. after learning enough about the process of like how to properly like structure a nonfiction book and hiring a really amazing freelance editor to work with me on it. I was like something that's also really important to me and always has been is like I have a pretty independent like DIY streak. And as a as a graphic artist, when I graduated college and I got my very first graphic design job, I had the experience of like knowing what it was like to use my creativity as my as my job. And Mm -hmm. that can be challenging if you're a creative person, because you have to make all kinds of compromises. And so I made an agreement with myself that as long as I used my creativity for my work, I was always going to have some creative projects that I owned that I got to like make the decisions about. And this book was one of many things I've done where it's a project that like, I'm the creative director, I get to decide what's on the cover, I get and I'm a designer, I can do my own layout and typography, I can like, Do the printing. I can handle that. It helped that I worked for a news magazine that printed an 80 page book every week for four years when I graduated college. Right. So, yeah, I just, to me, it was a no brainer. I was like, this is the right path for me. Everything in the research also showed me from talking to like just thousands of hours of talking to people was that people needed this book now. They didn't need it in two or three years, which is, you know, a typical publishing timeline. They needed it now. And I was like, I want to make it and put it out immediately.
1: So to segue into the subject of the book, Cultivating Better Friendships, why is this so important?
0: The reason I think it's important is because it's clear to me the re- Okay, let me back up. It's one side of a coin is connection. And the other side of the coin is what's happening with why 61% of Americans report feeling lonely on a regular basis, Right. If they had the connection that they wanted in their lives, that number mm-hmm. wouldn't be so high. And to give you a sense of the scope at which this issue seems to be getting like worse and worse is when I started doing the research into this, I was reviewing a study that Cigna had put out where they had looked into how loneliness was impacting the health of Americans. And at the time, it was like around 51%. It was a very, it was like small, It was like just over half of Americans f- reported feeling lonely on some kind of regular basis. And I put the book out in January, that study came out in 2018. The numbers literally the month after the book came out have already climbed to 61%. So that's like, A huge jump in like the span of like a year and a half. And similarly, Mm -hmm. like when I was, I was researching, you know, how does this show up in social media? One of the things that will, you know, shock you and probably (laughs) depress you is like, if you search Instagram for hashtag lonely, I would search. And I, I remember writing down one day, I was like, this pulled up like five million responses for hashtag lonely. And in the course of like a month or two, it would go up to like 7 million. And I was like, these numbers are changing too fast. (laughs) Like like my book, the stats are going to be out of date in like six months. Like it's changing so quickly. And to me, that is a real sign that we have to pay attention to this. That is a real sign that platonic connection matters. And I heard more and more people that I interviewed describe what I call like the feeling of platonic longing. It's not that there's a a lack of the number of people, but it's not at the depth that people want to feel. Cause you don't actually need to have like a thousand friends. It's okay if you have like just a few, but they're actually meeting your emotional needs. And unfortunately- A lot of people have a lot of friends, you know, in person or acquaintances or online, but maybe they don't know who to call or who to talk to or how to open up when they're having a challenge or having a struggle. They need help or they want to celebrate, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, it's not only for sad reasons. Sometimes we just want to be there to like spend time or to like celebrate a, a, a wonderful thing that's happened in your life. And like, if no one's there when you need them or you don't know who to open up to or how to do it there's going to be a, an issue there, right?
1: Yeah. And to go back to the the seriousness of the topic, I, I think I saw a study where the social isolation, it's a killer. It is. Doesn't it lead to like cardiovascular disease, uh, depression? It's one of the biggest killers in America.
0: Yeah, it really is. And it's it's been shown that like chronic loneliness can shorten your lifespan by like 10 to 15 years, there's twice as many people in the United States who report this like regular experience of loneliness than there are who have diabetes. And as you mentioned, like the cardiovascular, anxiety, depression, dementia, like all of these things are linked to loneliness.
1: What are the uh, some of the main reasons that this is happening now and we're seeing this growth in loneliness?
0: In the book, I outline kind of the four biggest challenges that came up in my qualitative research with folks um, for what was getting in the way of connection. So the first was the one I mentioned at the top, which is just our hypermobility. So we live in an incredibly transient culture. It's not just moving from city to city or country to country, but even like from job to job. And that hypermobility makes it hard. Like, you know, one of the (laughs) phrases I put in the book is it's hard to hit a target if the target keeps moving. Literally, like it's literally moving. Like if I'd say like, I want to be better friends with that person. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to reach out to them more. I'm going to do that. And then three months later, they're like, oh, I'm moving to Chicago. There goes all that work. Right. Um, yeah. And the second challenge is busyness. Everybody feels too busy. You're hard pressed to find anybody who's like, I don't have enough things to do. And so busyness... A is real. I understand our schedules are full, but I also think we have a cultural a cultural obsession with busyness. I think that we interpret yeah. it as a a marker of success, a marker like you're admirable if you're someone who's busy, you look like you're in demand, you look like you have a lot going on, and that is not necessarily healthy.
1: Yeah, what's that term? That the term hustle hustle porn?
0: Yeah. And so that addiction to busyness um, and unwillingness to actually change the way we structure our time and our lives gets in the way of fostering our friendships. The third challenge was just the demands of relationships and family. You mentioned, you know, being in your 30s, I can relate where all your friends are like, you know, they're having kids or getting married or like just being in like long term relationships and like they actually have less time because they're spending time with you know, this family or this relationship that wasn't there when you were 22 or like fresh out of college or something. And so navigating that is a challenge. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but it's a real challenge. And then the last one is our declining capacity for intimacy. And it's the fourth challenge. I talk about it at length in the book. And it's actually, I think the one that's most important because it requires us to show up in new ways to be available to each other, emotionally available to each other, and to be willing to look at ourselves, our communication skills, the way that we show up as friends. Conflict resolution is a part of that, not ghosting, having a conversation and really having the courage and the vulnerability to maintain our friendships and to take the emotional risk of showing up doing hard work and saying it's worth it to keep that person in your life.
1: The fourth reason and the ability to be able to connect with friends and show vulnerability and take that risk. Is that something that has gotten more prevalent in terms of us kind of backing away from it because of social media?
0: I don't think it's fair to say it's the the sole reason, like entirely I do think it's a big contributor. There's a great book uh, by Sherry Turkle called Alone Together, and it looks specifically at the impact of technology on relationships. And there is some evidence in there that does point to this. And I think it's so like I said, it's not necessarily that it's solely to blame because there are a lot of good things that come from social media as well. But unfortunately, some of the habits of communication and habits of interaction that social media and uh, technology and devices, the way they impact our interactions, I think are not always positive for fostering intimacy and vulnerability. So, one mm-hmm. example of this is um, I was just writing about yesterday, kind of drafting a blog post. Is there's a because when you're reading on, say, like Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, there's a penchant towards keeping it brief, right? Like however many characters or whatever. And certainly you can go above that on like Instagram or Facebook or whatnot. But most of the time people are writing for like a viral soundbite. It's a bullet list. It's a phrase, like no punctuation. Like it's really, really short. And so it doesn't necessarily train us because it is in a way training the way we communicate. It's not training us to speak at length To go into nuance to explore subtlety to be vulnerable to be um complicated the way like a real conversation might be and the other thing is that it doesn't really reward vulnerability sometimes it does but one of the women i interviewed for the book talked about the work she did to intentionally challenge the norms of social media instead of just being like oh here's like a picture of me on vacation or like a selfie of me looking perfect she would challenge right. that by like talking about her struggles with anxiety or talking about imposter syndrome or talking about mental health issues and in some ways like she got some validation but in other ways she didn't and similar to the hustle porn there's a there's a a bias towards things looking sparkly and perfect on social and that causes a lot of people to hide how they're truly feeling i just finished reading mm-hmm. another really great book it's called what i didn't post on instagram or something it's like what we filter out and it's a (laughs) a good title it's terrific (laughs) it's a bunch of essays by women who are talking about at a time when they posted like beautiful photos of like their life working out really awesome on insta they were like here's actually what was going on behind the scenes and like some real challenges i was dealing with and it just helps balance out that scale of being like social says like, look perfect, act perfect. Everyone's going to like admire you and you're going to get a lot of likes for this. And I love that book because it just shows like the rawness and the realness and how social media really doesn't always support that level of insight.
1: It doesn't. Is there a particular generation that this is happening to more loneliness or is it across the board?
0: In the research, the Lonelier segments of the population were. It was sort of like a reverse bell curve. It was like the younger half of the population, and then the older, the very oldest part of our population. There is, of course, like loneliness in the middle, particularly for like middle-aged folks. But it's like there's no population that is safe. Let me put it that way.
1: Gotcha. So how would you, for someone that is living in a city, a lot of their friends are having families, moving away. They are. They are lonely. They want this friendship. How do you suggest they go about fixing that?
0: I suggest they go about fixing that with intentionality and purpose. And so that can look a bunch of different ways. So one is to know yourself. The first segment of the book, after I do like the introductory stuff is really about evaluating, like what are the marks of a quality friendship and what are the things that are priorities to you? So Where are the areas that like you get the most fulfillment or that you're willing to put in the more work for and where are areas that you need to grow? It's really important to know yourself as you come into a friendship Mm -hmm. so that you can know, well, like, what am I looking for? What are my boundaries? It's kind of like dating actually. (laughs) It's a lot like dating. It's like, what am I looking for? Am I looking for a long-term relationship or just someone to hang out with for a few months? Do what are my boundaries about certain things or what am I like up for? And so it's, it's important to bring that level of intentionality so that we don't frustrate or confuse each other or waste each other's time. Like everybody's busy, right? Yeah. In the area, so-called. Yeah. And so once you get that part done in terms of reaching out, I think that there's, we have more room to go where, when it comes to being uh, more direct, more direct about what we're looking mm-hmm. for and what we're asking for. I think that we have more room to be bold in our asks than we give ourselves credit for. One great example of this, uh, in the book, Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott, she does some research around how comfortable are people when other people are very, very direct with them. Because she called, mm, right. she says most of the time we err on the side of being so careful, we put too many pillows on the message that we're trying to send. Right. And when she did this survey, it showed that people were much more open to like a direct piece of communication than the other people assumed that they were. And so in that way, you know, it just takes some courage to be willing to say very clearly to another person, like, hey... I'm looking to make more friends or I want to, I really like hanging out with you. I would love to be closer friends with you. Are you up for that? Yeah.
1: You know, like yeah. it's
0: not that hard, but it's so vulnerable because everyone's afraid of rejection. You're afraid of like right. somebody else saying no or looking like something's wrong with you because you want more friends or something. Yeah, There's stigma. There's stigma there. And I think we just got to move past it and normalize that openness those invitations.
1: And speaking of that rejection, you write about an incident in the book of when we're looking at friends that maybe you don't want to spend as much time with each other. Yeah. Can you tell us about that and like how you went about that and what was the reaction from that friend?
0: Yeah. So this was with an acquaintance um, that I had made. So I, I had started going like really gung ho <laughs> trying to like make a bunch of new friends. And at a certain point I realized I was like, between the existing friendships I'm trying to maintain and the new friendships that need a lot of energy. It's kind of like feeding a new plant or a new baby or something. It's like it needs a lot of energy when something's very new and fresh. And so I just realized I got to a point that I was like, I actually don't, I wanna give each of my friendships a dedicated amount of time, which means I can't maintain like 30 friendships like at the same level of intensity. And so I needed to be really honest about how much bandwidth I had. And um, I did have to tell an acquaintance, like, I think you're really great. I think you're so friendly and you have great energy. And I've enjoyed hanging out with you. We'd hung out like two times, maybe three. And and I said, but, you know, I'm trying to be a lot more intentional in how I cultivate my friendships. And I realized that, like, I'm going to probably let you down if you're wanting me to hang Mm. out at the rate that you're wanting to hang out because I don't have the time to give all of my friendships, the attention that they need. And so I need to take a step back. I could have just like ghosted, which is not how I prefer to do things, but unfortunately it's like a very common cultural thing. People were just like, Oh, just don't, just don't text back. Just don't call back. And I'm just like, no, that's really rude. I'd rather just Got it. not make the other person guess. I'd rather be really clear so that we both know. Why? (laughs) Why I'm taking a step back? And she was really gracious about it. She was like, thanks for being honest with me. She was like, she acknowledged, she's like, you could have just ghosted. And she was like, thanks. I understand. Because like, the reason I gave is like very understandable. You know,
1: would you suggest that same practice being upfront and vulnerable about this when, you know, at the beginning of the year, you evaluate your life and the people around you, right? They say, you know, the five people you hang around the most, the sum of your life is the five people you hang around with. And then you look at those five people and you're like, maybe I need to switch <laughs> out my crew. Maybe I need to hang with some other people that I'm inspired by more. How would you approach that?
0: Well, I think it really is on a case by case basis. It depends on that person's communication level and sometimes maturity level. I mean, I have definitely had the experience of so a few years ago, I started the new year. Like you're saying, you know, and you do that evaluation. You're like, what do I want to get out of this year? And I was like, you know, I want more connection. I want to deepen some of my existing friendships that I have. And I sent an email to about 10 people and I said, hey, all of you, you know, I'm so glad you're a part of my life. I am this year. I want to have like more deeper, more intentional friendships and uh, connections. And so I would really love to share that with you. And here's what that could look like, you know, and I gave a few examples of like, here's how I could show up. And here's like times that I'm generally always free. And I said, and I'd really love if you feel the same way for you to offer me invitations and for you to like reach out to me more. I welcome that. I have room for that. And this was like, this was probably like early 2017 or 2018. It was a while back. And out of that group of probably 10 people, some people wrote back and they were like, yes, I would love that. You're so great. Thanks for saying that. And I was like, cool, let's make it happen. And at that point, it's really on two people. It's not just the one person's responsibility who brought it up. And some of the people were meeting me, were matching me. They were they were certainly in that set, like you're describing of like the, the five people that you want around you all the time. And then there was like somebody else who was like, yeah, that sounds great. And then like, never, ever reached out, you know, and like, I would like make plans, you know, and she would cancel and then like, just didn't respond. And so at that point, even though I would have loved to have her in my circle, she wouldn't give me anything to work with. And so I just took a step back and I was like, I'll wait for her to message me. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I ghosted her because I was mad. It was like, I've reached out to you like so many times, you're not available. That's cool. Hit me up when you're available. No hard feelings. And in that way, like I made room for somebody else to come into that small circle who was like, yeah, going to do that.
1: So is that important to get that double opt-in?
0: I think it helps. I think it helps to get the double opt-in because it leads to less confusion and less hurt feelings. If you can be sure upfront, like, hey, do we both want this at the same level? It makes it clearer that when you reach out, you have a sense of what the other person's openness is. Because if you don't get the double opt-in, what you end up with is like... One person who's like constantly hitting up the other person and the other one's like, why are you stalking me? (laughs) If you don't feel the same (laughs) way, it's like, whoa, chill out. Um, So like actually have a conversation and be clear, like, do you (laughs) both want the same thing at the same level? And if the answer is no, it's cool. There's 7 billion other people, like, You, you can hang out with someone else.
1: Yeah. And even if they don't give you a clear answer, no, like if they're not responding to your invitations at some point, you're going to realize, yeah. uh, maybe i got to move on to yeah. make room for someone else.
0: That's a, that's a level of communication is not just with our words, but also with our actions.
1: You uh, bring up in the book, because you have traveled and moved to different places in the U.S., keeping meaningful relationships with friends that you have met in different cities. One of my best friends has actually just moved to Poland. Poland? Poland. Wow. Yes. She married a Polish guy. Um, So she's in Warsaw, but the time difference is so drastically different to what we built our friendship over. She was in the same city. How have you gone about it? keeping meaningful friendships with people you've met in different cities.
0: Yeah. I write about this a little bit in the book too, kind of reflecting on what made two of my best friends become that way and realizing that our friendships got really close when we were in the same city, kind of like you and your friend who's just moved to Poland. However, we've spent more time away from each other, like in different states than we spent right next to each other. And Hmm. it's through having a mutual commitment to maintaining the friendship that made that possible. So um, with two, two close friends of mine who live in other states here, we check in on a regular basis on the phone or via text. At different phases of our friendship, we've also kept in touch more over email. And then in the last few years, I was kind of like, hey, I don't really... I don't really want to write these long emails. I'd rather talk to you. And so we moved to having more phone calls with one of my friends. We we hung out last year and we were just talking about how great it was to spend time just having like deep, deep conversations that you can get into when you're around each other for like three, four days in a row. And we agreed like at the end of that weekend, we we're like, you know what, like, let's make a plan to talk every single week even if it's only for five minutes. Sometimes it's for two hours, sometimes it's only five minutes. Um, But every Saturday or Sunday, usually midday, because that works for East Coast, West Coast time, we will reach out to each other on the phone. And if one of us doesn't do it, the other one's like, hey. (laughs) And so it's like a mutual commitment that belongs to the both of us. And, you know, another friend who um, I talked to for the book is somebody I met probably 15 years ago. And he used to live in Portland and moved to London and described how leaving and going to another country really also illuminated for him who the closer friendships were because a lot of people were not willing to deal with the time zone difference like you're describing with Poland to stay in touch. It was like, The quote unquote hassle of like, yeah, you're going to talk at a weird time of the day because that's when you're both awake or like you're going to have a phone call, even though like for a lot of people, phone calls are awkward or like they're not used to it. I love phone calls. It's a great way (laughs) to be really comfortable in chat, but they didn't want to like do the effort of like having a phone call or doing a Zoom or WhatsApp. And so unfortunately, like some of his friendships fell off because crossing the discomfort level of like a different method of communication, possibly at a different time of day, wasn't the commitment they were willing to make to maintain that friendship. That's unfortunate. That is really sad. But it also showed him like, wow, okay, thanks for that information. Now I can focus on people who are willing to make that effort. Because it's got to be, it's a two-way street. It's got to be made by both people, the friendship.
1: Totally. What, um, so friends that are in the same city and they want to spend more time together, what are some of your methods on how to do that and how to circumnavigate the, I'm always busy. I'm always busy. What's the best practice for them to see each other on a consistent basis?
0: Yeah. Good question. I have different challenges in the book that I offer to people depending on what they feel like their main barrier is. So if you're really busy, I'm going to recommend you do the challenges focused on like reorienting yourself to busyness. So one of those things is like there's a busyness detox that you can do. There's like a 30 day busy detox. There's also you can do it for one week if you want. But it's really orienting yourself to time in a different way so that when you come to your relationships, you're not coming with the baggage of like, oh, I'm I have this mindset about time that's like unmovable you actually understand that it's actually quite flexible or if your challenge is frequency, not necessarily busyness, but you want to see your friend more frequently or, or just talk to them more frequently. Then it's like, well, what are other ways that you can fit connection into your day? Like, do you want to commute together? Do you want to ride home from work together? Do you want to meet each other on a weekday morning or a weekend morning and like do a walk at the park? Like, do you want to have a phone call two times a week for 15 minutes? Like, there are other ways to add frequency to our lives that, are, that don't require necessarily like scheduling six weeks in advance and like making some like big onerous commitment. I think if we get more flexible with our routines and habits, we can see that there's actually a lot more opportunity there than we think.
1: What about, so you want to make some new friends. You have some methods in the book on how to do that as well. What's some of your favorite methods to to do that?
0: Uh, One of my favorite methods uh, is sort of like, called the, I think I call it the like wonderful people party or something where uh, you get a few people that you already know that you already like, and you kind of like, you know, you trust their judgment. Um, You get Mm -hmm. them to invite you, I'm sorry, to introduce you to one or two other people that they know that they really like. Um, So you could like have a gathering and each person like has to bring one or two other people that they think are great. And then that way you have this like wonderful people party where they're all just sharing this like, beautiful resource of like awesome people that we all know. I love that. Another strategy that works really well is to do something novel with somebody new. So let's say you have an acquaintance. Uh, maybe it's somebody that you've, that you know from work, but you've never hung out with them or that you met through a friend of a friend at say a dinner or something. You're like, you're really cool. We should hang out. You trade numbers in real life. Most of the time you trade numbers, you never see them again, but, <laughs> but You actually follow up and you say like, hey, you were really cool. Let's get together. And then you actually plan an outing that includes like someone you know well and someone you don't know very well and maybe like one extra person. And then you all go and do something a little bit unusual. So don't just go to happy hour. Don't just go have beers or whatever. Don't just go to dinner. Pick something novel and interesting. So maybe it's a concert that only two of you have heard that person before. Or maybe you go to a Very interesting, like convention that's happening. Okay, right now they're all canceled, but you get my idea. (laughs) Or maybe you go to like see a really unusual, like indie movie or something, or you take a workshop together to like learn how to carve Japanese wooden spoons. Um, Yeah. Pick something unusual. There's research that shows that the more novel the experience that is shared between people that don't know each other very well, the faster they will bond. Interesting. Yeah.
1: That's good. And I think like Airbnb experiences would be. That's
0: a great idea.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a great place to look Uh, for ideas.
1: What are the benefits of bringing someone that you do know and someone that you are just beginning a friendship with?
0: Yeah. One benefit there is that the person that you do know is someone that you already feel comfortable with. So you're going to feel more comfortable having someone who's a bit of an ally already to you. And if you tell that person like, Hey, I'm also inviting this new acquaintance. I'm trying to get to know them better. They're really cool. Here's a, here's a little bit I know about them. Then that person is then also helping you get to know that person at the same time. And the uh, benefit of that too, is that once the hangout is over, Instead of it just being a one-to-one connection where now it's like, oh, well, if I don't reach out to them and they don't reach out to me, then I guess it fizzles out. Is like if it's three or mm-hmm. four people or even five people, it's like afterwards, there's that many more people who are going to spark a reconnection or prompt re-engagement with the rest of the group. And so there's just more likelihood for it to keep going.
1: Got it. Unless... It didn't go that well, and you kind of don't want to spend any more time with the person. And that could happen. That's life. (laughs) So, meeting, so you brought up conferences before and going to these events, mixes, conferences, or it is a party. Do you have any techniques on how to spark a conversation with someone new in one of those settings that? allows you to go deeper, quicker with that person.
0: Yeah. So uh, curiosity is the key. And you do that by modeling curiosity yourself and by offering people questions that are interesting and engaging and a little bit off the beaten path because we all have answered already the questions like, where are you from? What do you do? Where'd yep. you go to school? There's there's not really much to gain from like continuing to repeat that for another 60 years. So In the book, I put all of the uh, 350 or so questions from Better Than Small (laughs) Talk that I added because like the thing that I think is a challenge for folks is like they don't know what to say. They're like, oh, what do I say? And then they just like default to the old thing. But if you pick out like three or four of the questions that you really like and for like a month or two, you just keep those ones in your back pocket or like write them in the memo on your phone, like so that when you're in that situation, you have the opportunity to go first and set the tone for the conversation. So like you walk up to somebody or at like a potluck or something, you're like, oh, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so. Cool, tell me about a time in the last year when you felt really alive. And, or like, tell me about um, a place in nature that you really love. If you just like cut it off at the pass, (laughs) A, you like kind of surprise the other person. So they're not gonna follow that up with like, oh, like, so like, Where do you work? It's like, no, you're going to have a more interesting conversation because you're already on the road to having an interesting conversation. And the other thing it does often that I find is that it gives people this sense of like surprise and wonder. They're like, oh, we could talk about that. (laughs) Oh, we can just actually have a really different conversation. And it's so refreshing. People are just dying to be asked a meaningful question and to have a conversation about something that matters that's interesting, personal. Yeah.
1: What are some of your go-tos from those hundreds of questions that you have? Any favorites?
0: Well, I mean, I kind of go through phases. Oh, one of my favorites is, did you ever try to get away with anything when you were a kid?
1: Oh, damn, that's a good one. (laughs) I've got so many of those stories. (laughs) I like that.
0: That one works really good because it's it's funny. Yeah. It gives you a chance for reflection. It gives you a chance for to learn a little bit about how much that person um, how they deal with risk or how they dealt with risk as a little kid, like what kinds of things were important yeah. to you to them that they like
1: yep. wanted
0: to try for. Or you might learn that like they're very risk averse and they've like never tried to get away with anything. They like always follow the rules, mm. you know, and that tells you something about a person. Another one that I really like is um what are three songs you loved as a teenager? similarly it gives you an insight into a little bit of someone's journey yeah. kind of like what they were into and very frequently that one's real popular because people will as they answer it and especially in a group setting people then realize that they have a feeling of like connection with another person who also loved that song and then they want to know the reason why they both love it and it's just like music just like lights up this thing inside people and it makes it it's just a lot more connecting.
1: Yeah. Has there been anything that uh, you tried to get away with as a child?
0: As a kid, what did I try to get away with? One thing you'll learn about me in this question is I'm usually a rule follower. I didn't really Mm -hmm. try to get away with anything as a kid. I was very obedient. Like I wanted to know what the rules were. I wanted to like be a good student. So I don't have a really great story for that right now. But I've heard some really funny ones from other people who like, you know, they like knocked over a lamp and then their mom came in and like, they tried to blame it on the dog or something. It was like a battered (laughs) lamp on the floor. It's funny, even my Myers-Briggs like tells me that like, I am totally like the person who's looking out for like, safety and care and like doing everything like in this like, very careful way. So yeah, I should try to get away with more stuff. Maybe
1: that's the uh, that's the goal for the next <laughs> month. How's the response been since the, the the book has come out?
0: It's been really good. Um, it's really been terrific. The response from readers, from professional editorial reviewers have all been like so positive and so helpful. And the thing that's really validating to me is when I get to hear from readers, because I made this book for them. I made this book for every person out there who has dealt with this issue, felt frustrated by it was unsure of like what to do about it and was willing to do something about it. Cause it's one thing to complain mm-hmm. and be like, well, that's how it is. It sucks. And it's another thing to be like, this is how it is, but I believe it could be better. I'm going to do something about it. This book is really for those folks. Uh, cause you, it does require you to take action. If you're not willing to take action, it's probably not going to work. Um, yeah. But I love just getting to talk to fans, to talk to them. Like today, this morning, I had a phone call with one of them. Usually we just chat wow. on, <laughs> on social, you know, in the DMs, they're like, oh my God, or they write a really great review. Um, but it's so validating yeah. to hear that people are trying the ideas and feeling like refreshed, feeling inspired, feeling a new sense of energy and possibility, and then seeing results change in their interactions with other people.
1: I love that. It's such important work that you're doing, Kat, and I really appreciate that you're doing it. For people that have an idea for their own book, what are three of your top tips that they should do before anything?
0: I would say first step is connect to community. There are writer's circles and author's groups and even, you know, um, just like practice feedback critique groups online or in person, whatever you're comfortable with. But having a creative community is so key. It's so important. I was a part of a writer circle while I was working on my book, and it was a really valuable experience to have a safe place to get feedback on my writing and to workshop pieces. And I also grew as a writer by being exposed to other works in process that other people were doing exceptionally talented people like every time I like read their work or critiqued it I was like I'm becoming a better writer by reading your stuff so that was really valuable so number one connect with your writer's community or find one to join or create one if it doesn't exist the second piece of advice I would give is figure out what kind of schedule will allow you to fit this into your life on a regular basis so that you can finish your project some productivity, you know, gurus out there like to say that oh you have to write every single day for 20 minutes or an hour at the exact same time every day, blah blah blah. For some people that works. That does not work for me, right? Yeah. I needed the flexibility in my life to know like some days I'm going to have something else to do at that time. I was mostly writing and editing like really late at night, like between 10 p.m. and like 12 or 1, sometimes 2, because I know that that's a time of day where like nobody's going to bother me. (laughs) Like there's no interruptions. And it doesn't require getting up at the crack of dawn and like being all bleary eyed. Some people work before work. They do it and then they work for two hours before they go into their job. For me, it was better to do it at night. And also like a lot on the weekend. So figure out what's going to work for you. And like, and then just make a minimum commitment each week that like, you know, for me, it was like, I'm going to do this at least two to three weeknights. And for like a four to five hour block on the weekend, doesn't matter what days it occurs, but each week, like, that's my commitment. So figure out what that is for you and stick to it. So number one, find your community. Number two, figure out a productivity schedule that's going to work for you. And number three (laughs) is every time you think you're halfway done, just go easy on yourself when you realize you were not even halfway there. (laughs) You might've only been Mm. a quarter of the way there because there are so many times there's so much more work. If you've never written a book before, there's more work than you know is coming because you're moving towards a target that you've never reached before. And so, you know, when I finish draft one or draft two I was like oh surely this is halfway done I'll be done in no time yeah right I was probably only a quarter of the way through at that point at the because there was like there was more editing to do or there was more illustrations to do or more research to flush out or actually we decided to cut this entire section and move this other section to the front well that means I now need to write a new introduction and segues and blah 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 and so each time I thought I was halfway done it was a big big joke I was like not even close so Right. Just don't get discouraged because that happens pretty
1: frequently. Um, right. How long was the entire process? So you obviously did a whole bunch of work with the research, but when it came to actually writing and, and even more for you, because you were illustrating along with it, how long was that whole entire process?
0: Yeah. So the research and like early exploratory work was probably from 2016 to 2018. And that's when I was like doing it very loose. Mm -hmm. Like I was not, I didn't have any hard deadlines each week for like, oh, I have to do this, that, the other. It was like, I'll do it when I have time. And I did it like a little bit off and on. There were like some weeks where I did stuff every week and then like a month where I maybe didn't do anything. So those first two months were like very flexible. And then, um, the second two years from 2018 to 2020, that's when I really got serious. So 2018, I was like really finishing like the, the research, like putting together the shitty first draft, like doing all of the, um, figuring out like what was the structure that I thought I wanted. And then 2019 was when shit got real. (laughs) I was like, okay, head down, down. it's going to happen. Cause I picked the deadline of releasing the first week of January, let's say not necessarily new New Year's, but I wanted to come out like the very early in January. And so that year 2019 was like very aggressive. I was like every single week, multiple weeknights, like every weekend doing something on it and working with my editor, working on all the illustrations, like redrawing so many illustrations, like doing the layout, doing proofing, proofing so many copies. I did different covers. I did different layouts um, and I needed a few months really to do all of that proofing from like October to December. There's so many things that are not just writing the book that are a part of producing and releasing a book. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. Well, I can't wait for your next book because I loved reading uh, this one and, and the methods that you have. Where can people find we should get together? Where can they buy the book?
0: Awesome. So the book is available everywhere you buy books whether that is online or at your local independent bookstore they can it can order it literally anywhere so i recommend getting it from an independent bookstore but if you want to get it at mm-hmm. amazon or barnes and noble you can if you like ebooks I have the ebook on my website. It's always best to support the creator because they get to keep all the profit. <laughs> um, you mm-hmm. can also get the ebook directly from Kindle or Nook or any of the other places you get ebooks. And you can find out more about that on my website at either we should get together.com or betterthansmalltalk.com. Better than small better than Smell talk is my like sort of events and gatherings workshop. So there's more about that there. And uh, also all the question prompts are there you want to have like a deck of cards with all the questions in your pocket you can
1: yes. do that yes there's like what 350 questions you said so i've definitely uh, taken a few of them and i'm looking forward to my next social gathering where i can have some meaningful conversations with people awesome kat it was so good chatting to you i really appreciate you and all the work you're doing thank you so much
0: thank you dale this was really fun
1: So we've got some homework to do. I don't know about you, but I'll be examining my friendships and working out who I need to be spending more time with, and maybe even where to be spending a little less of my energy. Go follow Kat on Instagram at catvelos underscore author. That is Cat with a K. Let her know you listened to the episode and what really resonated with you. You can purchase her book, We Should Get Together, at her website, weshouldgettogether.com. It's packed full of thoughtful ideas on really how to create better friendships. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. And if you want to use your skills for good, come join our community of changemakers at goodgigs.app where you can find jobs with mission-driven companies. Until next time, thanks for showing up and being you.